That concludes general questions. The next item of business is First Minister's questions. And at question number one, I call Douglas Ross. Uh, thank you very much, Presiding Officer. Uh, last night, the Scottish Conservatives led a debate and vote here in Parliament on SNP Green plans to introduce highly protected marine areas. These reckless proposals would ban fishing in large parts of Scotland's seas. They would risk thousands of jobs. They would be devastating to coastal communities. The First Minister has said his government will not impose highly protected marine areas on any community that is vehemently opposed to them. So, quite simply, can he define what he means in this case by community and what level of opposition will be considered vehemently opposed? First Minister. Before I respond to Douglas Ross, I just wanted to recognise that today is, of course, International Firefighters Day. And I want to take the opportunity to thank firefighters right across Scotland for their selfless contribution to keeping us safe. And I want to pay tribute uh, to firefighters, of course, that have lost their lives serving our communities, including uh, Barry Martin. I know that his bravery will serve as a constant and continual reminder of the courage our firefighters demonstrate in the line of duty each and every single day. Um, in terms of uh, the very important question uh, that uh, Douglas Ross uh, raises, let me just remind him, of course, that it is also uh, a Scottish Conservative manifesto pledge uh, to introduce highly protected uh, marine uh, areas. In fact, Douglas Ross didn't just stand on one manifesto, he stood on two manifestos that wanted to introduce highly protected marine areas in some shape uh, or indeed uh, some form. And I heard uh, Rachel, I had the misfortune of hearing Rachel Hamilton's GMS interview a couple of days ago where we had four different positions, I think, on HPMAs uh, in around five uh, minutes. What we've made absolutely clear is that this government will not impose HPMAs on any community that vehemently opposes them. Now, we've done the consultation. We've had enormous response First Minister, if you could just give me one moment. I'd be grateful if, when a member is speaking, other members were listening. Thank you. Thanks, President Officer. We've done the consultation. It's had a significant response. It's only right we now analyse those responses. And while doing so, of course, Mary McAllen has committed, and I commit also, uh, to making sure we engage with our coastal uh, and island communities uh, that may well be affected by HPMAs. In terms of uh, what, what, uh, what mechanism we will use, how we will define uh, community uh, in terms of opposition or indeed uh, consent, uh, that will be something that we engage directly with the community. That is why we have done a consultation. We have done a consultation at early inception stage. It would be completely wrong of us to preempt uh, what, uh, what, how, what consent mechanism we end Members. up putting in place or setting the parameters here today. That would, of course, risk excluding some voices uh, that should be heard. But what we will not apologise for is, of course, taking the necessary action we need to to protect our biodiversity. That is incumbent not just on the government of the day, but also on all of us to make sure that we tackle the twin crisis of the climate uh, emergency and the loss of our biodiversity. Douglas Ross. Can I begin by associating myself with the remarks of the First Minister on International Firefighters Day? I think my colleague Russell Finlay is speaking in a member's debate immediately after FMQs on this very issue. And we all celebrate and recognise the bravery of our firefighters who do tremendous work day in and day out, putting their lives at risk, which we saw so starkly with the sad loss of Barry Martin earlier this year. 
But getting back to the answer, which was you know, very long in length, very short uh, in detail, uh, what would be completely wrong, First Minister, is to give reassurances to coastal communities that everything's fine, if they are a community that is vehemently opposed to this, this will not be introduced, and then be completely unable to define what that is. He is trying to give reassurances with no substance behind it. Uh, and speaking about behind, the First Minister just needs to look behind him to Karen Adam, who said in Parliament two days ago, we need clarity on how these communities will be defined and how we will gauge vehement opposition. Even the SNP are saying that. She says we need that clarity urgently. We do. So I'm saying that and even the SNP benches uh, are saying this as well. But it's already crystal clear that these communities are vehemently opposed to these plans. Just listen, First Minister, to what they're saying. The Scottish Fishermen's Federation said these plans could have a catastrophic effect. A fisherman from the Outer Hebrides said it will be absolutely devastating, and you'll see a loss of population in these areas akin to the Highland Clearances. And the Tyree Community Development Trust said, and this is their words, it will be the end of our community. A development trust saying these SNP Green plans will be the end of their community. These are damning verdicts on the SNP government's proposals from the people who know the sector best. So why is the First Minister pressing ahead with a policy that will devastate coastal, rural and fishing communities? First Minister. Again, I just remind Douglas Ross, because it was not that many years ago, of the manifesto commitment in the Scottish Conservatives' manifesto. And I will quote directly, we will review the current marine protected areas in Scottish waters with a view to expanding their extent and pilot the introduction of highly protected marine pilots. areas. So now they're saying there are four pilots presiding officer. That was a very, very different, uh, very different articulation uh, that Rachel Hamilton gave on the radio. Uh, Thank a few, you, members. Uh, days ago, and we know Douglas Ross is known, of course, for flip-flopping all over the place on any issue of the day, uh, flip-flopping on the issue of highly protected marine areas. And of course, Karen Adam was absolutely right. We will, of course, not only define communities, but we will define what consent or what opposition is. But what I'm saying to Douglas Ross very clearly is we should analyse the huge number of consultation responses we have had from those communities before deciding for them or imposing on them or indeed excluding any of those communities uh, from uh, that uh, discussion. What I think we should all absolutely uh, agree on uh, is the fact that we have to take action to make sure our marine environment is sustainable for the future. What is not going to help our fishing communities is, of course, if that marine, uh, envi marine environment is not sustainable. We want to ensure it is so that the future of our fishing industry can continue for many, many years. And I'm, I'm absolutely committed to doing that, uh, not to the communities involved, but hopefully with the communities involved. Douglas Ross. I mean, muted applause from behind him. And if you could see the glum faces uh, on the SNP members, it's uh, incredible. And it's not only coastal fishing and rural communities who are against these plans, who seemingly the First Minister uh, is happy to ignore. Uh, last night, in this chamber, three senior SNP MSPs, all former government ministers, voted against their party on this fishing ban. So let's just listen to what they had to say. Fergus Ewing said, this will haunt the Scottish Government. Alistair Allen 
said, I have never known my constituency to be so unanimously opposed to any single policy in all of my time as an MSP. And Kate Forbes said, the rarest species in our coastal areas and our islands will soon become people if these proposals go ahead as planned. Does Hamza Yusuf realise that he's not only out of touch with coastal communities, but he's out of touch with members of his own party? First Minister. Again, can I remind Douglas Ross of the fact, of course, that this parliament, uh, accepted by a majority, an amended motion, which of course we accepted uh, also and voted for amendments uh, from the Labour Party, uh, from the Liberal Democrats. So there was a number of parties coming together uh, to, of course, propose amendments, which we accepted, and then the majority of this parliament uh, agreeing uh, to uh, that uh, motion. And what I would say to Douglas Ross is there are good examples of, for example, uh, Lamlash Bay, where we have a no-take zone, which the community campaigned for. Thank you, the members. The community wanted uh, in uh, their local area. And of course, based on the studies that have been coordinated by the community group, we've seen that since that protection was in place, uh, commercially important species such as the king scallop, the European lobster, they've increased in size and age and density. And there's a good example of where we've worked with a community in order for that no-take zone uh, to be uh, implemented. So we're not talking about imposition. We're talking about working with communities up and down uh, the country. And that is the right thing to do because the trouble with the Conservatives is that they demand that we take action on the climate emergency. They demand that we take action when it comes to, of course, reversing uh, some of the negative impacts uh, and effects uh, of the loss of biodiversity. But whenever we propose action, uh, they oppose it every single step of the way. That's not going to help our climate and it certainly isn't going to help our fishing industry or our marine environment in the future. Douglas Ross. Well, the, the first. Oh gosh, it's getting worse. It's getting worse. If I had another question, there might be none uh, from an answer from the First Minister. But, but thank you. But, but Hamza Youssef was speaking uh, about the response from the Scottish Conservatives. He should be worried uh, about the response from his own backbenches, the rebellion uh, that we've already seen. It, it took Nicola Sturgeon eight years to have her first major rebellion within the SNP ranks. It's taken Hamza Youssef less than eight weeks to achieve the same. He's clearly losing his grip on his party because he insists on pursuing these extreme policies that are opposed by the very communities he wants to impose them on. These reckless plans would ban fishing across much of our sea. It would put thousands of jobs at risk and it would devastate coastal, rural and fishing areas. Coastal communities, the fishing sector and even Hamza Yusuf's own MSPs have all called for the SNP government to ditch their anti-fishing plans. Yet the First Minister is ploughing ahead regardless. So instead of arrogantly dismissing the many valid concerns as he's done so far, will he now do the right thing and scrap these plans? First Minister. What we are doing, of course, and what we have done from the very beginning of this process and this proposal is engage with our coastal and island communities. In total, we've had over 40 meetings with stakeholders. We've already, and I have already stated, the Cabinet Secretary will continue that engagement. For example, prior to the consultation even being launched, of course, there was meetings with over 20 stakeholder groups, including some of those that Douglas Ross has mentioned, such as the Scottish 
Fishermen's Federation, the Scottish Creole Fishermen's Association, aquaculture groups such as the Salmon, uh, Salmon Scotland, but also important ENGOs as well, such as Scottish Environment Link and community representatives such as Coastal Communities Network uh, and Cosla. First so Minister, he, sorry, I would be grateful. I appreciate members are here because they have strong opinions on many issues, but it would be grateful if they could keep them to themselves while other members are on their feet. ...to hear the facts, and that is the problem, uh, presiding officer, because the facts are that we have engaged even prior to this consultation. I've given an absolute commitment that we'll continue to engage, and I've given a commitment time and time and time again in public that we will not impose an HPMAs on any community that is vehemently opposed to it. And for Douglas Ross to stand there and talk about losing grip of a party when he's been leader. They've had the, the Conservatives have had the longest attempted coup in Scottish political history. Why doesn't Jamie Green or Liam Kerr just Members. stand up and put Douglas Ross out of his misery? It's hardly a surprise. It's hardly a surprise that Douglas Ross talks about losing grip on a political uh, party. Uh, even he has lost faith in his own political party. He spent the entire Easter recess urging his supporters to vote for the Scottish Labour Party, presiding officer. Finally, finally, Douglas Ross has got his finger on the Thank pulse. You. He's finally caught up with Scottish public opinion. Even Douglas Ross has lost faith in his own leadership of the Scottish Conservative Party. Question number two, Anna Sarwar. Can I join others in recognising International Firefighters Day and paying tribute to all those who run towards danger in order to protect their fellow citizens? And in particular, our thoughts are with the family of Barry, Barry Martin, who so tragically lost his life at just 38 years old. This morning, the Criminal Justice Committee published its review of the Government's Domestic Abuse Act. The Act was passed by this Parliament in February 2018 to give greater protections to victims, particularly women and children, from coercion and abuse. But today, five years on, the Committee concludes that progress on implementing the changes has been far too slow. In the words of one expert who gave evidence, the experience of victims and survivors is still unremittingly grim. When the Act was brought in, the then Justice Secretary, Hamza Yusuf, said that he hoped victims would be able to seek the support with the confidence that the law is behind them. When so many women and children are still being failed, does the First Minister believe his government have lived up to that ambition? First Minister. I believe we have, but I believe there's always more uh, that we can and we should do. And can I say that I welcome uh, the publication of the Criminal Justice uh, Committee report uh, on their post-legislative scrutiny of the Domestic Abuse Act in 2018. And we have taken action, not just as a government, in fairness, it has been a, a collective effort uh, by this Parliament to respond uh, to the needs of victims uh, of uh, domestic abuse. We will, of course, give very careful consideration to the eight recommendations uh, before uh, responding uh, formally. Uh, but what I will be clear on, and again, I'm sure there is collective agreement uh, on this, that any form of abuse uh, is unacceptable. And the new domestic abuse offence, which has been uh, heralded as uh, gold standard legislation, has given more powers to police, to the courts, to punish perpetrators of abuse uh, and protect people uh, at risk. However, as the report highlights, there is clearly uh, still more work to be done, uh, presiding officer, in order to improve the justice system's response to domestic abuse uh, and, and, and for the survivors of domestic abuse. And we'll work with those justice agencies to consider those recommendations. 
Anna Sarwar. Uh, the First Minister suggests that the ambition has been met. I suggest he uh, listens to and reads the testimony of the victims uh, about how they feel about the process. Because this bill was uh, marked as world-leading. But as usual, this SNP government are content to talk up change and settle for less. But it's not just this legislation that is neglect across our justice system. <clears throat> we have a hate crime bill that has never been enforced, a court backlog of over 27,000 criminal cases, and 816 fewer police officers since 2020. And when the First Minister was Justice Secretary, there was a damning review of the police complaints and disciplinary system. It reported evidence of misogyny, racism and serious discrimination issues within Police Scotland. In 2020, the then Justice Secretary, Hamza Youssef, told this chamber that the government would, and I quote, move at pace in its response, and there would be no dithering, nor will there be delay. But Newsnight has spoken to women about the misogyny they faced while working in our police force. They say many are too scared to speak out, and many have been forced to leave. Is this a decisive action the First Minister was talking about? First Minister. Well, decisive action has seen, us, uh, has seen those court backlogs, of course, fall. And the reason why those court backlogs increased so much was because of the global uh, pandemic. I think all of us uh, can and should uh, recognise that. Uh, decisive action has seen, as the SNP have been in government, the lowest crime uh, figures uh, on record. Uh, of course, our uh, records in relation to funding the police and ensuring uh, that there are more uh, police officers uh, on the beat uh, is a good one. That's why we have more police officers per head than in England uh, and indeed uh, in Wales. In terms of misogyny, we're taking decisive action on the back of an excellent uh, report by Baroness uh, Kennedy in relation to uh, what we, more we can do both legislatively and as a society in tackling uh, misogyny. In terms of uh, the police uh, in relation to some of the concerns that have been raised in relation to misogyny uh, in the police force, I know from my engagement with the Chief Constable, with Ian uh, Livingston, how seriously he takes the issue uh, of misogyny uh, in policing. And I know that he has taken action uh, to address that. And we take, uh, as the government, and I know the police do extremely seriously, any concerns raised against police officers. Uh, when things go wrong, the police must, of course, uh, be held uh, to account. And that's why uh, I'm pleased that uh, some of the uh, whistleblowing policies in, uh, in relation to Police Scotland uh, have been updated uh, by the SPA. That's in direct uh, response to the work that we commissioned by, uh, from Dame Alicia Angelini in 2018. That was the review of complaints, handling, investigation and misconduct issues uh, in relation to policing. So that's decisive action that we have taken. Am I saying everything is perfect? Of course not. Uh, there is more that we can do, uh, both for those who serve in a police force, but also the public that we seek uh, to serve. But there is a good track record of this government uh, in relation to tackling uh, the issues that matter to people and keeping, of course, uh, people safe right up and down Scotland. Hannah Sarwar. I'm sorry, but that is a really complacent answer, I think, from the First Minister. He seems to be in denial. The fact, that, the fact that female police officers are feeling compelled to speak to the media in order to inspire change from this government is a record of failure, not one of success or progress. Because there is chaos across our, our criminal justice system. Courts are backlogged, prisons are overcrowded, and a police force is being starved of resources. But isn't this the problem with this First Minister? He likes to talk big, but consistently fails to deliver. Because this is an incompetent and dysfunctional SNP government, which after 16 years has left every Scottish institution weaker. A justice system that too often fails victims. A transport system that too often fails communities. An education system 
that too often fails our children and a health service that too often fails staff and patients. So is it any wonder that every single day more and more people are losing trust and faith in this failing SNP government? First Minister. Anna Sarwar calls it rhetoric, but they're facts. They're facts that he cannot and should not seek to avoid. And when it comes to each and every government department, we can look at the achievements of this government. In health, for example, we have record health spending, over £19 billion to be invested in the NHS this financial year. NHS staffing up to historically high levels. Our A&E services, of course, continue to be the best performing anywhere in the UK in terms of education. Not just record investment in education, but record high numbers of school leavers in education, employment or training. We have the narrowest gap on record between school leavers from the most and least deprived uh, areas, attaining one, more, uh, one or more passes at SEQF Level 4. Or better, in justice, I've already said, we have crime at the lowest uh, level since 1974, down 42% <laughs> under the SNP, the highest number of police officers than at any other time during the last administration when Labour were last uh, in power. More police officers per head than England and Wales when it comes to the economy and employment at record low levels, and I could go on and on and on. And despite the fact that, of course, the SNP has undoubtedly had some of the most difficult and challenging weeks, we still enjoy incredibly popular support. And, and Asawa still, of course, in second place. And that betrays Thank you. the level or the lack of ambition that Anna Sawa has after wall-to-wall -wall coverage, negative Thank you, coverage members. of the SNP for five to six weeks. He's happy being in second place. That's the ambition he's got for the Labour Party, and that's why the people of Scotland haven't trusted them in the last 16 years in government. Question number three, Russell Finlay. Yeah, thank you, President Officer. To ask the First Minister what action the Scottish Government plans to take in light of his declared support for the Daily Records, Our Kids, Our Future campaign to tackle violence against young people. First Minister. Well, can I, uh, like many others have done, commend the Daily Record for drawing attention to what is an incredibly important issue. Uh, we must all confront the causes of violence. We must all address it, its consequences and minimise future victimisation and stop violence from a young age. I would call, I would call on anybody who is experiencing or witnessing violence or seeing it on social media uh, as the campaign uh, is highlighting to report it. Uh, this is an issue for all of us in society to confront. Uh, and I'm aware that uh, we do not have the power over social media platforms, but I am aware that the UK government do, and their online safety bill, which is progressing through <coughs> Westminster, could be a means to ensuring social media companies take their responsibilities to contain violent content more seriously. So I'll be writing to the UK government to make that case, and we welcome uh, Mr Finlay's support in that. Russell Finlay. Thank the First Minister for that answer. Uh, Abby Jarvis was violently attacked by another teenager with every brutal moment recorded and circulated on social media. And the First Minister says he backs this important campaign against these <coughs> sickening attacks. But Abby lives in fear, unable to leave home by herself or return to school. And her mum, Angela, struggles to explain why there has been no justice. Why are Abby and other children victims paying the price? And Angela asks, when there are no consequences for serious acts of violence, what message does that send to the children of Scotland? First Minister. 
Well, again, I'm, I'm really grateful for Abby and her mum, Angela, for speaking out. Uh, I've read their testimony uh, in the Daily Record on a number uh, of occasions, and I'm grateful to them and the other young people who have cho chosen to speak out after such uh, horrific uh, incidents. Uh, what we are uh, keen to do is to back um, the calls from the Daily Record in relation uh, to ensuring that we work with our local authorities to ensure that there are uh, safe places for teenagers uh, to go. We also want to do more and work with social media companies to prevent violent content from being shared, and that's why I will write to the UK Government on that very uh, matter. But also the third ask of the, the Records campaign is that every adult has a role to play, so take a lead in our community to help our local uh, children to feel cared for and included. And I don't think the response to that is that we lock up every under 18 that is committing uh, violence and, and simply throw away the key and forget about them and their future. What we have to do is make sure we are understanding what is the root cause of that violent crime and taking a public health approach to it. That is the approach we've taken in Glasgow in particular that has worked so well over many, many uh, years. So, of course, there should be consequences uh, in relation to that uh, violence. But it isn't about, uh, for example, uh, uh, incarcerating uh, young people. It is about ensuring we work with them uh, to reduce uh, uh, violence and taking a public health approach to that, something I'm very committed to doing. Michelle Thompson. Sorry, it was a, a constituency one rather than something. Okay. Katie Clark. Government has a goal of ensuring robust community justice interventions are available across Scotland. However, the community justice budget is facing real terms cuts over the next year. Given the Scottish Government's stated intention is to increase the use of community justice, will the First Minister look at this again? I think there may be some understanding. This is a supplementary with particular regards to question number three. Yes, that was my understanding, Presiding Officer. First Minister. I'm happy to, to answer the question because it is a really important point that Katie Clark uh, raises. Uh, I am uh, full square behind uh, the aims that uh, she speaks about in relation to investing more in community justice. I do believe uh, that is a better route to go down uh, than, for example, incarcer incarceration. We know uh, that if we uh, can divert people to community justice uh, alternatives, then there is the ability to prevent uh, re-offending, for example. So I'm more than happy to continue to look at every single uh, budget line uh, where I can, particularly uh, this important budget line. Uh, we are operating within a fixed budget. We have the limited powers in order to increase that uh, budget. But that is why I spoke yesterday about the issue of making really tough choices. And I think it is important that we all engage, uh, whether we're in government or indeed with the opposition, we all engage uh, in this conversation in, 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 in a grown-up fashion. And it's very clear that Katie Clark uh, is up for that conversation. Question number four, Colette Stevenson. Can we have Ms Stevenson's microphone, please? Thank you, President Officer. To ask the First Minister whether he will provide an update on the anti-poverty summit that took place on Wednesday, the 3rd of May. First Minister. Well, I'm very grateful to the over uh, 80 people, presiding officer, including party leaders who joined the anti-poverty <laughs> summit. I hope they will all agree uh, with me that what we heard, uh, particularly from those with direct experience of poverty, confirmed that poverty is the biggest challenge that we're facing, uh, that we're facing as a country. Well, we've already acted to tackle uh, the pressure on those most in need, of course, more must be done. And whilst we have fixed budgets, and when money is so tight and needs to be stretched uh, so far, we must be both hard-headed but also realistic about the action 
that has to be taken. And that means some really tough choices that are needed uh, as being, uh, to, be, to be bold. And, and as we heard specifically, we have to be brave. And all of us as party uh, leaders, uh, me as First Minister, we were challenged to be brave by those with direct experience uh, of uh, poverty. So this government uh, I, that I lead, uh, we will be bold and we'll consider what we can do in relation to taxation, in relation to those tough decisions that have to be made, and in relation to those target investments that we have to make. Colette Stevenson. I thank the First Minister for that response. A well-being economy and a fair social security system are two key components to tackling poverty. Many experts agree that the UK Tory government's policies, such as cutting universal credit, are worsening poverty. And of course, the minimum wage set by Westminster is well below the living wage, which would help people meet the cost of living. Does the First Minister agree with me that until this Parliament has the full powers over the economy and social security, the UK Government must step up to the plate and use its powers to support instead of punish people? And can he outline the steps the Scottish Government will take to build on its progressive record in this Government? First Minister. Whenever uh, anybody talks about poverty, you always hear the groans from the Conservative Party. Instead of groans, they should be facing up to the reality that over a decade of austerity, a hard Brexit that has been imposed upon us from a, a mini-budget that wrecked a complete havoc on our economy, uh, that it is their actions that have pushed more people into poverty, not just in Scotland, but right up and down the UK. Instead of groaning, they should face up to that fact and take some responsibility, uh, presiding officer. The UK government, the UK Thank you. government should uh, match the ambition of the Scottish government in tackling uh, and reducing poverty, and that includes introducing the equivalent of the Scottish child payment by reinstating the universal credit uplift uh, at £25 a week, extending the support to other means-tested benefits. Uh, where the UK government, uh, where the UK government to reverse? Uh, key uh, reforms introduced since 2015. This would put £780 million into the pockets of Scottish households. It would lift 70,000 people, including 30,000 children, out of poverty this year. But let me make it clear where I can work constructively with the UK Government on reducing poverty. I will do so. It was one of the first topics uh, that I raised uh, in my meeting with the Prime Minister uh, most uh, recently. And where we have the power in this Parliament to go further I give an absolute commitment. We will use those powers to their absolute maximum effect because this is a collective uh, effort that we all have to make in order to reduce poverty, and in particular, uh, child poverty. Paul O'Kane. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. I noted the First Minister's uh, headline-grabbing announcement prior to the summit of £4.5 million for after-school clubs. Does he accept that that's a drop in the ocean compared to the billion-pound financial black hole the government created in local authority funding through its relentless slashing of council budgets? Does he also accept it's time for the SNP to use every lever at their disposal to improve people's lives? In the summit, which we attended in good faith, we outlined a number of areas where the government could take immediate action, wiping out school meal debt, improving debt support in communities, freezing water charges and providing a water rebate. The First Minister said he is listening, so when is he going to get on and take action in these areas to make a real difference right now? First Minister. The difficulty, of course, was with all those policy proposals, Paul O'Kane didn't outline how on earth we would pay for them. And that is the problem, that we have a, a Labour Party who demands action but don't do the grown-up politics, which is actually putting forward how you would pay for these measures. And that is the reality of government. I know the Labour Party 
uh, having been in government for over 16 years. But you have to be able to say how you're going to pay uh, for those uh, measures. Um, and, and it was, it was Labour shadow chancellor Rachel Reeves who said principles don't change, but the priorities and the policies must change according to the circumstances. I actually intend, I, I, I agree with her. We have to ensure that every single penny we spend is targeted towards those who need it the most. So I'm more than happy to engage with Paul O'Kane constructively on some of the issues that he's raised uh, here today. But what I would say to Paul O'Kane is we absolutely have to be realistic. We're not just coming up with potential solutions and proposals, but we have to say how on earth we're going to pay for them. And I'll make no apology whatsoever to say that I believe in progressive taxation. I hope that's the call that Labour can back to. Question number five, Brian Whittle. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. To ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government's response is to a recent report suggesting that current forestry grant funding rules are supporting projects that are harmful to peatlands and which, as a result, generate more carbon dioxide than they sequester. First Minister. Well, we don't agree that our woodland creation is harmful for peatlands. No government is doing more in these islands to ensure woodlands and forestry help to tackle climate change. Scotland's forests remove over 7 million tonnes of CO2 a year from the atmosphere, about 14% of all Scotland's gross emissions. Uh, all grant-funded planting must comply with the UK forestry standard to maximise CO2 removals and minimise emissions. Uh, planting on deep peat of, is, uh, of course, banned. Uh, guidance on ground preparation was strengthened in 2021 and will continue to use the best available science and evidence to protect our environment, sequester carbon uh, and get Scotland to net zero. Brian Whittle. I thank the First Minister for that answer, but even from your own government scientists, uh, such as those in forestry research, they are suggesting that even 10, 10 centimetres deep peat might be worth protecting, and certainly 30 centimetres uh, of deep peat should be protected. The report highlights that trees are being uh, planted using the wrong techniques, drying up peatlands, which sends organic matter down our rivers, which acidifies them, killing salmon and also causing more flooding. So to keep carbon in the ground, the report says we need to keep peatlands wet. So will the First Minister tighten up the regulations for forestry and peatlands and ensure the right trees are planted in the right place at the right time? First Minister. I'll just make the point again to Brian Whittle. We have a very ambitious uh, peatland restoration uh, programme. Uh, the new policy prospectus that I announced just a couple of weeks ago uh, promises to deliver up to 110,000 hectares uh, of restored peatland by 2026. And of course, he knows our target uh, in relation to 2030 by restoring uh, 250,000 uh, hectares. And that's something we're keen to do, build capacity, because we know we need to go faster uh, than we currently are. Of course, the report uh, we are looking at very closely, the report that Brian Whittle uh, references. But Forest uh, Research recently carried out uh, quite a comprehensive study uh, on CO2 uptake achieved through creating different types of woodland. Um, the key finding of the forest research study is that all types of woodland uh, have important roles to play, including conifers and broad-leaved woodlands and natural recolonisation. So, of course, we will listen to uh, any experts uh, in this regard, and we are looking at the report uh, that Brian Whittle references in his question. Jackie Dunbar. Thank you, President Officer. As is to be expected, there are a range of opinions on this subject, but Scotland's forests are an important carbon sink. The strategy of having the right tree in the right place is crucial. So does the First Minister share my view that expanding, restoring and improving forests and woodlands has a key role in achieving our net zero targets and restoring Scotland's natural environment? 
First Minister. Yes, uh, absolutely. More than 75% of woodland creation across the UK uh, is currently in Scotland. Scotland's forests uh, and forestry sector are, are making a vital contribution to our climate change uh, targets. We've set out bold plans in the climate change plan to increase woodland cover to 21% by 2032 by planting 18,000 hectares a year, uh, including 4,000 hectares of native uh, woodland. We're also taking steps to further protect and restore our iconic Atlantic rainforest and Caledonian pine woods uh, as well. The, the package of measures uh, will deliver towards net zero and restore the biodiversity that underpins uh, our economy and, of course, importantly, the well-being of our planet and of local communities too. Question number six, Karen Adam. Thank you, President Officer. And for the record, I'll be asking the first, my first part of the question in spoken English and then in signed and spoken BSL to raise awareness. To ask the First Minister, in light of this being Deaf Awareness Week, what work the Scottish Government has undertaken to ensure that deaf people have their communication needs met? So this week is what? It's Deaf Awareness Week. And I want to ask the First Minister, what is the Scottish Government doing to make sure that deaf people's communication needs are met? First Minister. Can I uh, thank uh, Karen Adam for the question and can I recognise uh, the incredible work that she has done uh, raising the issues around uh, deaf awareness I had the great pleasure of meeting her father uh, a number of weeks uh, ago, who I know has also been an advocate and a champion uh, for raising issues around uh, deaf awareness and BSL and the use of BSL in particular. And can I uh, also uh, wish all of those who are marking Deaf Awareness Week uh, all the very best for the awareness raising activity and events that I know uh, are planned. Uh, since 2014, we've provided over £5.5 million to promote the implementation of the See Here strategy, a refreshed strategy for 2024, will be designed collaboratively with stakeholders and, of course, importantly and crucially, uh, with people that have uh, lived experience. It will be focused on living a good life uh, with sensory loss. And, of course, communication plays a key and a vital role uh, in this. For BSL users, the Scottish Government fund Contact Scotland BSL, which enables deaf and deafblind British Sign Language uh, users to telephone any number via video relay interpreters 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And we're investing in two technological solutions to improve communication for deaf people through uh, our CivTech programme, a BSL English interpreting centralised booking system for interpreters and enabling crucially access to public services using an online concierge service. Karen Adam. I thank the First Minister for that answer. I'm a CODA, which is a child of a deaf adult, and I grew up learning BSL alongside English. And the right to be understood in your own language cannot be understated. The deaf community do deserve to feel included, and currently BSL provisions across Scotland can be a postcode lottery. In Scotland, we pride ourselves on being a progressive nation. On BSL, however, we must go further and faster. Will the First Minister commit to providing a space where stakeholders and I can highlight to the Scottish Government what we must do to protect the future of our precious minority language in Scotland. First Minister. Yes, absolutely. I can commit to that. And can I once again thank Karen Adam for the incredible work that she has done uh, in her time in Parliament and even beforehand, of course, to raise issues that are affecting our deaf community in Scotland. And we've established a short-life working group for the development of the British Sign Language Plan uh, 2023-2029. is due to be published in October this year. The National Plan provides a real opportunity to advance our approach to BSL and we will also be establishing an implementation governance group 
for when the national plan has been published to ensure that we can deliver on those commitments. I'm clear that I expect, uh, ex expect stakeholders to be fully involved uh, in this work, but particularly those with direct uh, lived experience. The Cabinet Secretary for Education and Skills uh, would, of course, be happy to arrange to meet uh, with Karen Adam to explore these issues in more detail. We move to constituency and general supplementaries, and I call CoCab Stewart. Thank you, Presiding Officer. The situation in Sudan is worsening by the day. The sister-in-law of one of my constituents of Glasgow Kelvin is currently trapped in Khartoum as violence worsens across the region. I understand that the Eritrean police and security services are actively rounding up those attempting to flee. And I also gather that at least three people have died whilst being transported from Khartoum to Shagrab refugee camp. And many, many more people have been kidnapped while they're trying to leave the capital city. Does the First Minister agree with me that this underlines the need for safe and legal routes to seek asylum within the UK? And can he provide assurances that Scotland will do all it can within its devolved competencies to support victims caught up in this awful nightmare? First Minister. I, I thank Kokab Stewart for raising this important issue uh, in our Parliament. I agree uh, with all that the member has said, the Scottish Government has consistently sought and advocated for safe and legal routes to enable people to seek safety under the Refugee Convention, a convention uh, the UK, of course, was first to sign. And the majority in this parliament uh, made that uh, clear in the debate on Tuesday uh, as well. Without such routes, people will continue, of course, to be forced into dangerous journeys that put their lives at further risk. And the member has just mentioned countries where we can see that scenario uh, taking place. What we need is a humane uh, asylum system where people's cases are dealt with swiftly and fairly, uh, not uh, the UK government's illegal migration bill, which I believe Douglas Ross voted for in earlier stages in the House of Commons. It's not fit for purpose. It's a complete abdication of international responsibility. It's a complete abdication of our moral responsibility. We'll be engaging with the UK government, urging them, pleading with them to do the right thing. If we can do the right thing, for those seeking uh, to, to, to flee from war in Ukraine, as we absolutely should, is the right thing to do, then we should make sure we are doing that for everybody who's fleeing war right across the world, regardless of which continent they're fleeing from, regardless of their colour of skin, or regardless of their religion. Alexander Stewart. Thank you, Presiding Officer. First Minister, NHS Fourth Valley continues to struggle even under special measures. Complaints are going up and performance targets are falling short. 1,704 complaints were received between April 22 and January 23, an increase of 30% compared with the same period the year before. Patients are clearly still not receiving the care they deserve. First Minister, what further action can be put in place to ensure that this upturn in complaints is rectified as a matter of urgency? First Minister. Uh, Alexander Stewart uh, is right to, to raise the issues. He does. He is right to raise these issues, and he's raised them, of course, before with me. And that is one of the reasons, of course, we took uh, the action. I took the action when I was Health Secretary uh, to escalate Fourth Valley to second highest level uh, of escalation. Uh, and part <laughs> of that reason was because of uh, the complaints handling, because of the culture uh, in Fourth Valley, and, of course, because of the performance uh, in relation to Fourth uh, Valley. Uh, I did offer at the time when I was Health Secretary a meeting between Alexander Stewart and, indeed, uh, the, the individual, Christine McLaughlin, who's heading the oversight uh, group. I don't know if that meeting uh, has taken uh, place. If it hasn't, I'm more than happy uh, to facilitate that 
uh, from uh, my office. There is an improvement plan in place. I think we all recognise, given the nature of the challenges Forth Valley is facing, uh, that the improvement plan will take time uh, to embed. But I am assured uh, that, that improvement is being made, and I will, uh, uh, I will, I will get the latest update uh, from the Cabinet Secretary for Health and Social Care uh, after First Minister's questions. But if Alexander Stewart uh, wishes to meet with the Cabinet Secretary to get a further update, uh, we will make uh, uh, that happen. Julian Mackay. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Now the, short, the work of the Short Life Working Group on buffer zones has concluded, does the First Minister agree that all of our collective focus should be on delivering national legislation as the most robust way to put buffer zones in place in Scotland, and that our collective aim should be to bring forward the final proposal for my Member's Bill before summer recess? First Minister. I absolutely fully uh, agree with that. I extend my thanks to the Members of the working group for helping us to get to this point. And Julie Mackay is right, the focus should absolutely now be on that national uh, approach. And, and I can give an absolute commitment, although I know Julie Mackay knows this, an absolute commitment uh, that we work closely with her uh, on this member's bill. It is in, of incredible importance. It's vital to ensure that women get access, safe access uh, to uh, health care. And I'm fully supportive, and this government is fully supportive, uh, of those safe uh, access zones. So I know my officials have been working uh, at pace uh, uh, with uh, Gillian Martin in relation to the development of the legislation. I'm pleased to hear from her, uh, her ambition around uh, the introduction of that uh, before uh, summer recess. And I look forward uh, to engaging with her personally, uh, as well as with the Cabinet Secretary uh, and the Ministers involved. Pam Gossel. Thank you, Presiding Officer. More than 6,500 rapes and sexual assaults were reported to have taken place in hospitals in England and Wales between 2019 and 2022. However, Police Scotland does not record such data and therefore we do not know the scale of the problem in Scottish hospital wards. A constituent has written to me and she is rightly unsettled by this alarming oversight. First Minister, what action will this government take to ensure that appropriate and accurate data is collected to identify the scale of this problem? First Minister. I'm also uh, raises uh, a very important matter uh, indeed. Uh, I don't have uh, the detail uh, in front of me in relation to the data that is or is not collected, but I promise uh, Pam Gosla will uh, look uh, and request, uh, as she has asked me to do, uh, what data is collected in this regard. If there's more that we can do uh, and Police Scotland can do uh, in relation to recording that data, uh, I will ask and explore and I will write to the member uh, with further detail. Thank you. That concludes First Minister's questions. The next item of business is a member's business debate in the name of Bill Kidd. And there will be a short suspension now to allow members to, to leave the chamber and public gallery. Thank you.